Erin Stern worked at a summer camp for pediatric cancer patients while she was a teenager growing up in San Diego. Later, she went to Harvard University, where she received her PhD in cancer biology. On today's podcast, Erin will talk about meeting fellow cancer biology students and professors while in graduate school, who all agreed that there were few community building opportunities for these kids who needed so much help and support, which resulted in her founding Camp Casco, a summer camp which means so much to all that are able to attend. Erin will discuss this camp and that even though there's only a one-week session for overnight campers, as well as a one-week session for day campers, this camp is a full-time job for her as she continues each year to build a camp which has 100% of its parents who unanimously recommend this camp to pediatric cancer patients and their families. Thank you for listening to this podcast. It is now my pleasure to welcome Erin Stern to my podcast. Thank you very much for taking the time to join me. It's great to have you here. Thank you so much for the opportunity. Now, as we begin this podcast, I'd like to take you back to your time growing up in San Diego when you volunteered at a pediatric oncology camp there, which I think might have uh, begun the process in your own mind of uh, creating a mission which you've completed here. Please talk about that experience and why you decided to get involved with a camp that was helping these kids battling pediatric cancer. Sure. I, at the time, I was working as a research assistant in uh, the UCSD Cancer Center. So I saw cancer patients coming and going every day as I would come into work to do, you know, data entry and things like that. And so I, I got a good glimpse of of sort of the ins and outs of going through cancer treatment, um, more on the adult side. And one day I saw this flyer to volunteer at this camp. And I thought, well, that sounds interesting. I was in college. I had the flexibility of a college student and I thought, sure, I could go away for a week and do whatever they need me to do. And it'll be an adventure. Right. And so I went and I was so nervous. I was like, what did I just sign up for? What if this is an insane experience? Uh, And I got there and I just met uh, truly some of the best people I've ever met in my life. To this day, some of my best friends. Um, I didn't know at the time that I was volunteering for something that would affect my entire life trajectory. Um, I remember walking in and meeting another junior counselor named Kristen. And we were both brand new, brand new to the organization, had never been there before. Um, To this day, she's one of my best friends and our full-time program director here at Camp Casco. Um, we got to just peek into this world that had been around for so much longer than we ever knew of these kids who had built these networks and relationships over the years and um, were graduating from camp or coming back as camp counselors. Some of my um, my own uh, peers there were former campers themselves. And so you just got this really incredible glimpse into like, how much this camp had affected all of these people. And I never knew. Um, and, and just the joy and the kindness and uh, the, the interactions and friendships that I saw that week completely changed me and changed, you know, my motivations in life, which is so crazy to think about in retrospect. Well, it certainly worked out great for you. Now you came to Harvard university to get your PhD in cancer biology. While you were there, you met a group of fellow cancer biology students and professors, and I'm sure you were talking one day or more than one day, uh, talking about the belief that there were very few community building opportunities for these kids. So it was decided to start a summer camp for these kids, which you named Camp Casco. Can you talk about the objective of what uh, this camp entails? Yeah, I think, um, you know, as you touched on, many of us are 
have backgrounds in cancer research and we're very interested in the translational side of research, meaning bridging the the bench to the bedside and figuring out ways to make um, patients' lives better, both during treatment and afterwards. And so I think we all had that shared perspective going in of like really wanting to make a difference in the lives of cancer patients. And so as we were thinking about that, we talked a lot about our different perspectives, um, our different types of research, all of that. And we all thought about the importance of community building and how both during treatment and after treatment, it's really challenging for for anyone, not just kids. There's a lot of long-term challenges that can come with cancer. And so we talked about, you know, wouldn't it be great if there was just a little community right here, um, a little camp that they could get away to for a week every summer. And, you know, I've seen this done in San Diego. Do you think we could do it here? And it started that simply. Um, but we really thought, you know, it's a week out of the year. We could put something together. <laughs> and that's how it started. Now, you are now the founder, or you were the founder, president and CEO of Camp Casco. You have an inter- interesting story to tell about how the camp was named. Can you tell our listeners the story about uh, your friend, Chris? I can. Um, Chris was one of the people I met that first summer um, at the camp in San Diego, Camp Reach for the Sky. Um, and he was a, a camp counselor a few years older than me. He had been there for a long time. He had been there as a camper um, and then returned as a camp counselor. He was one of the friendliest people. He's one of the first people to like welcome you to that camp and make you feel really included and really special. Just everyone would, but he really went above and beyond. Um, and he was just such a, he so uh, captured the spirit of camp to me so much more. Um, he just like was constantly positive, constantly working, never wanted to take a break always going, like would do whatever he could to make you feel happy, to make the kids laugh, to be silly, like just constantly captured that camp spirit that we all hope camp would represent. And over the years, you know, we would come back every year to volunteer and his cancer returned um, as an adult. And we watched him fight it for five years and he fought so hard and he went through so much. And at the same time, he would still try to come to camp like mid treatment, you know, like full body paint from head to toe, green body paint, because his nickname at camp was the Hulk. And he like would just show up with the biggest smile, the best attitude. You wouldn't even know like half of what he was going through at that time. All he cared about was like, how can I get back to camp? How can I make it special for these kids? It was never like he was just so tough and so brave and never let anything hold him back. I remember being at a relay for life event with him in San Diego and he, we would suggest that maybe he would take a break and and relax before the next lap. And he would just keep coming back out of his tent. Like every couple of minutes, he was back out of the tent and running around. And I just, he ultimately lost his battle and he passed away um, in 2013. But he will always represent so much of like that camp spirit to me. And as we were looking to start this organization, we thought, you know, that spirit is what we want here too. That, that communicates so much of like what camp is all about and why we do this. And so um, Casco is the Spanish word for Hulk. And we thought by naming it in his honor, this would be a really special way to kind of bring that spirit here. Well, it's a great story and a great reason uh, uh, for the name uh, Camp Casco. Now, I'd like to focus on the overnight part of your camp, which takes place at the end of August each summer in Yarmouth Port on Cape Cod. I believe it's at the site of the old Camp Kirkland, or maybe Camp Kirkland is still in business. Um, but, uh, so, yes, we actually have rented there before, but we've moved around. So our most recent overnight camp was actually in Groton, Massachusetts at um, Grottonwood Camp and Conference Center. So we rent different facilities around Massachusetts. Well, Groton is certainly about 100 miles from uh, Yarmouth Port. So Groton's <laughs> also a beautiful part of Massachusetts. It is. Now, when, when was the first summer session? And how have the number of camp attendees expanded from that first summer through uh, the, the most recently completed year, uh, summer 2022? Yes. So we started in 2015. That was our very first week-long overnight camp. Um, We started with just 13 kids, very, very small. 
Um, we wanted to make sure that if we were going to do this, we were going to do it well. And to us, that means starting small, really knowing our campers, really knowing their needs and making sure that those 13 kids have the best week ever. And then slowly growing from there. So um, over time, we've added um, more camper spaces every year. We typically add between seven and 12 camper spaces a year um, because we want to make sure that we never grow so fast that we lose that special piece of Camp Casco where I know each of my campers. I know who needs a straw to drink their water at dinner. I know whose favorite color is blue, and I know who will be cheered up by the mention of a dog. <laughs> and I think that's something that's so important in making camp um, a place that kids feel safe. So we've grown slowly but steadily over the years. Uh, we had 42 camp spaces this year at our overnight camp um, in 2022, which is wonderful. Well, you've uh, tripled uh, your original enrollment, so that's certainly a great sign. One thing that 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 stood out to me when I was I was um, trying to prepare for this podcast on your website, it said that cancer becomes the least remarkable thing about each camper, which I guess comes would would come as quite a relief to these kids for the week. It does. I think um, whether you're on treatment, even sometimes after treatment, a lot of kids get a lot of attention around that cancer experience and even long-term, you know, they may not look the same, walk the same, talk the same as some of their peers at school who haven't gone through cancer. And so it can start to feel like this is the thing everyone knows about you. This is the thing everyone notices about you. Everyone read that article about you in the paper. And now that's kind of what you're known for. And it's a part of your history for sure. But a lot of kids just want to feel like every other kid um, who doesn't really. And so I think it, it's sort of funny that by by bringing kids who are all sharing that same defining characteristic, no one cares when you get to camp, which is kind of the funniest part about it. Like sometimes they'll throw their bags down on the bed and be like, what'd you have? Um, and that's pretty much the extent to which it's talked about unless a child really wants to talk about it. And we make spaces and opportunities for that to happen at camp safely. But we also have the kids who don't want to talk about cancer anymore. They've talked about it enough. It's affected enough of their life. Now I just want to feel like everybody else and they can do that at camp. Now, these pediatric cancer patients, uh, as we already know, come to Camp Casco for one week, which seems like a very short time to us. But I'm guessing it might seem to be a long time for these kids, at least initially, to, to leave their parents go into a completely foreign environment, how difficult and how important are these first few hours for these kids uh, as they arrive at camp? And how important is it for your staff to make sure that they feel as comfortable as possible as soon as they get there? I mean, the first few hours definitely make a big difference, but I would say almost the nights and those quiet moments throughout the week can almost be tougher for some kids. We've had kids come to camp who have never even had a sleepover before. So uh, imagining being outside of your comfort zone in a new space with a lot of other people around who you're not used to, it can be really daunting for, for anyone, not just our, our kids, um, but because of what they've been through with cancer, they're less likely to have been able to do some of those things in childhood that maybe a child without cancer um, would have been able to experience. And so we try really hard to set the stage immediately upon arrival. So we get into our cabin groups, we come up with shared cabin expectations that we can all feel like this is going to set the tone for the week. Um, we do a lot of icebreakers and things like that. But we also just try to get comfortable and just say, like, this is where you're going to be sleeping and feel free to get comfortable in this space and start to make yourself um, a little safe space here in your bed and unpack. And and I think that's that starts the tone for the week. But I would definitely say it's an ongoing process throughout the week um, to continue making it feel like a safe space. Now, I know the age of the kids at the overnight camp are uh, from the ages of seven to 17, which is a pretty good spread. Can you take us through what it's, what a day is like for these kids and what activities they participate in? Definitely. So every year we have a different camp theme. Um, and so this year's theme was colors. 
And every day of camp will have a specific theme day that falls into that greater theme. So for example, we had red day, orange day, yellow day, green day, blue day, and purple day. Um, every camp has different theme days. So we have three different camp sessions. So each one will have a little bit of a different theme that fits into the overall colors theme. Um, and our goal is that we kind of blend some of the traditional camp activities that you'll see every year with some new kind of themed activities. And that makes every year a little bit different, a little bit interesting. No two days are ever the same camp day. And that's kind of nice because we have a lot of returners. And so we want to keep every year fresh, interesting, and different. So typically we start every day by waking up and we all go to breakfast in the dining hall. We sit with our cabin group and we just kind of get ready for the day, wake up. Um, the rest of the day can pretty much vary <laughs> pretty hugely based on the theme day. Um, so typically there will be some sort of like swim, kayaking. Um, sometimes the older kids will get um, their own special challenge. So for example, at our overnight camp two weeks ago, we offered a big swing activity where our oldest teens were able to go up and do this huge swing through the trees, looking out over the water. It was beautiful. Um, and so sometimes teens will get some extra challenge opportunities like that if they so choose. Um, we also have different traditions that happen every year at camp. So one big favorite is called lights out lunch. And you don't know what day of the week it's going to fall, but one day of lunch is done in a fully blackened room, black lights, glow in the dark, everything, and you eat in the dark. And so there's things like that where kids might not know what day that will fall, but that'll be a fun surprise during the week. We always do a camp dance. We always do um, opening campfire on Monday night, closing campfire on Friday night. Uh, we always do a talent show on Friday night. So there's some of those traditions that we can count on and a lot of the rest can vary quite a bit. Now, what requirements health-wise are there for these kids, if any, before they can be admitted as campers? So... I think to start, obviously, we need kids who are um, fully potty trained and able to um, bathroom on their own. The rest, we really work with each child to make sure that we can provide the care that they need at the campsite. So, for example, we are not equipped to do IV medication at our camp, but we can do oral medication. We can do some different types, but we make sure like we will go through each child's medical record, look at the medications that they need, the type of care that they would require on site. And our medical director will, will review all of that and make sure that we are equipped or chat with the, the parents directly to make sure that we can provide the care that they need while they're with us. Um, the other big piece is we always get the sign off from that child's doctor to make sure that it is safe for them to attend um, a camp. And we try to make sure that we've really read up on each child before they're in our care so that we know that we can give them the best care possible at camp. Now, you mentioned something very interesting before. When I asked you about the first few hours that kids come and, and making them feel comfortable, and you pointed out that sometimes some of the harder thing, parts of it for these kids are in the quiet moments when they're by themselves which leads me to talk about the counselors that you hire, which I'm guessing is a very selective process. I know that some of them, or I'm imagining that some of them are former campers who have gone through their own camper experience. And what do you look for when you are in the hiring process besides uh, the uh, experience uh, of being a, at one time being a pediatric cancer patient? Well, so I would say that there's a good number of our counselors who are uh, survivors themselves. We have a good number who have never had cancer themselves. Um, all of our camp counselors are volunteers. So they're taking that week of their life to come dedicate their services um, for the week. Obviously there's, you know, the, the very baseline requirements of any camp counselor. We do all the background checks. We make sure that they, um, you know, are a safe person to have at any campsite, right? That's number one. Um, but from there, we do a lot. Um, 
we really want to find someone who has good instincts. You don't have to have all the right answers, but you do have to have good instincts to talk about how might you help a child who is struggling and having a tough time? How might you approach some kids who are really having a conflict and how can you help them work through it in a positive way? Um, What will you say if someone did say something hurtful? How do you step in and how do you quickly um, put them on a better path? Because camp is a positive place. It's not a place of bullying. It's not a place of negativity or putting others down. And so we need to be fully prepared in dealing with some of those tough situations. And we do train our camp counselors on how to handle a lot of those situations. But the first thing is we need good instincts. So we need someone who's maybe been in camp settings before or worked with kids a lot in the past, has maybe known how to step in and feels comfortable in that authority to step in. Um, Because I think what we've found is that knowing how to address those challenges quickly and effectively can change the trajectory of the week very quickly. Um, And on top of that, we do um, reference checks, uh, virtual interviews, and then we do both a virtual and on-site training to make sure that everybody who is at camp is prepared um, to help our kids have a great week. Well, it certainly seems like you're as thorough as humanly possible, which of course is so (laughs) important. (laughs) Now, you do have a number of staff members who are um, either at MIT, perhaps, or Harvard, who've been studying the medical field and the cancer field. How much does it mean to them to be able to have a hands-on experience with these kids uh, for uh, the week that they're there? I think it's incredibly meaningful. Um, we have had countless volunteers you know, come through our camps and then go on to nursing school, to PA school, to medical school. Many of them are finishing up. They are starting to go into the medical field professionally now that they're finishing their degrees. Um, And they have seen, you know, the importance of obviously cancer treatment and medical treatment are number one, but supporting kids and giving them community and giving them smiles and motivating them to keep pushing through those hard days, like that's also incredibly important. And I think you see how much kids need community and they need friends and they need peers who get it. Um, Some kids really need the challenge of camp, you know, going to camp alone is a challenge. It gives kids the opportunity to develop independence, to try new things, um, to build skills and build resilience. And when you're spending years in a hospital, you don't always get those same opportunities. Every day is a battle and you're not always getting the opportunity to like be more independent, for example. And so I think medical treatment and cancer treatment are huge. Um, They've allowed many of our campers to get through cancer and live a cancer-free life now, which is wonderful. Um, But we can continue kind of helping them thrive through these community programs. And I think so many of our um, former counselors have seen how effective camp is for that. Now, uh, you mentioned your medical staff, which obviously is very important to the success of the camp. You have a medical director and um, other medical staff that work there. Now, you mentioned that they can't give uh, uh, infusion uh, IV treatments. Can they give any other type of cancer treatment that a patient normally would have? Or um, if that if something comes up, is it is it mostly a return to a hospital setting for these kids? And, And does that happen on occasion for you? That's a great question. So many of our kids uh, will be on oral chemo, for example, and we're able to administer that no problem. Um, So it's just based on that child and what they need to get and how often. Um, For IV type uh, treatments, we would recommend that they receive that treatment and leave camp and come back or come to camp late or leave camp early. And we've actually facilitated those trips in the past where um, a few years, our camp was out in Beckett, which is quite far from the Jimmy Fund. And so we facilitated that transport to and from the Jimmy Fund to make sure um, that they could receive their treatment on time and not have any treatment delayed um, as a result of participating in camp. Um, we keep very close tabs on our kids throughout the week. That's one benefit of being a small camp. We have um, typically close to a one-to-one ratio of 
uh, staff and volunteers to kids, which means, you know, if Jimmy's not eating, we know. And three people have told me before I've even finished my bagel, right? If someone's like seeming lethargic, we know, and we're noticing. And our goal in those situations is typically to keep the parent as in the loop as possible, because we never want a parent to feel like surprised by what's going on at camp. We want them to know exactly how their child is doing. So typically what we would do is check on, you know, Jimmy, um, chat with his mom or his dad or his caregiver to let them know, you know, he's seeming a little lethargic today. Here's what we're going to try. Based on that child, if they're on treatment, what their treatment is, um, whether that's pretty normal for Jimmy or if it's pretty abnormal, Um, would affect our next steps. And so we would typically work with the parent or guardian to make sure um, we're doing, we're providing whatever care they want us to provide. If something starts to emerge, this is a child on treatment and they're a little bit more fragile. Um, Something like starting to spike a fever, things like that, where you start to really like get concerned. The parent is obviously kept in the loop throughout that process. And then we'll work with them to get the child to their uh, primary care provider or their oncologist or get them to the nearest hospital based on the severity and how concerned we are. Um, The goal is just to always be on top of it um, and to keep the parents and guardians in the loop so that no one is surprised. Like, what do you mean? He said everything was great and now he's at the hospital. Like that's the scenario we never want to happen. And so um, we try to just be very, very communicative throughout. Speaking of the, uh, you mentioned uh, the Jimmy Fund, and speaking of that, I was looking at your advisory board, and a very familiar name popped out, and that happens to be Dr. Edward Benz, who is the president and CEO emeritus of Dana-Farber. How important has Dr. Benz been to Camp Casco? I mean, so important. Dr. Benz is just such a wonderful human being and has been such an asset to our team. Um, not only has he helped us just spread the word and and connect with more people in the community, he's part of what we call our medical advisory committee. This is a, a group of volunteers um, who are all pediatric oncologists in, I think, all in the Boston area, um, typically from Jimmy Fund, one from Tufts. Um, and we work together annually to review our medical policies, our procedures, um, talk through any medical questions or challenges that we might be seeing. We've talked about things like how to make the paperwork easier. We've talked, as you can imagine, at great length about COVID and how to manage that. Um, and just the fact that Dr. Benz and some of his colleagues, uh, Dr. Christine Duncan is another one, Dr. Elizabeth Mullen, um, Dr. Jason Law, Um they have been such an asset to our organization in allowing us to really talk through how we handle certain situations. Um, I have texted them at eight in the morning to ask a question about something while they're on vacation. Like they're just a wonderful group of people who really care about their patients, not only in the clinic, but outside of the clinic. And they understand how important it is to not only have camp, but to have camp safely. Um, so I'm just incredibly grateful to him and and to everyone on the, the committee. Well, not that you need it, but but I would think that having Dr. Benz particularly, and, and certainly the other doctor that you named, uh, as an advisor and the parents know uh, who Edward Benz uh, is, that must be a huge uh, selling point for you. Of course. I mean, he is such a huge name in the cancer community here. He's got an incredible reputation and he's just the loveliest person in the world. And so uh, to be able to to pick his brain and he is just so easy to chat with and and totally gets a lot of the challenges um, that we face and is always happy to either talk through it or connect us with someone who maybe can talk through it with us um, or is particularly knowledgeable on the situation. I mean, what an incredible resource and asset. And we are just just so lucky. He's wonderful. Of course, that's great to hear. Now, I'd like to talk a little bit now about the role of siblings, which we know play a significant role in the so-called village of people that are always involved when a family, uh, a child has cancer. And you certainly understand this very well as you have a siblings uh, retreat 
which is funded by Ashley Hasiotis of the wonderful nonprofit One Mission. Can you talk about this retreat, what it entails, uh, when does it take place, and how meaningful is it to these brothers and sisters? I cannot even express um, how excited I am about this retreat, actually. And I am just forever grateful to Ashley and her team at One Mission because um, this has been a goal of ours since we started. Like my very first business plan was like, here's when we'll do overnight camp and when can we add a sibling camp? Um, That was always something that we wanted to do, but it was something that we wanted to be really mindful about doing well. We don't want our siblings to feel like a plus one. We want them to feel like they have their own unique experience and that they are, you know, the star of the show for that camp. And it's about them and and they really have all eyes on them in that moment. So when the opportunity arose in 2019 to partner with One Mission to make an actual weekend retreat possible just for siblings, I like it was just perfect timing. The stars aligned and we were so grateful that One Mission really shares our commitment to supporting siblings as well, because it affects siblings so much too. And they have their own challenges. And it's, I can't tell you how many conversations I have with people like, well, why do siblings need a camp? You know, they can go to a traditional camp and well, there's so many reasons why, and we don't have to name them all here. Um, I'm sure, you know, and your listeners probably know quite well. Um, So we had originally partnered to actually offer this one mission sibling retreat for the first time in 2020. And you can imagine uh, how that played out along with so many other in-person things of 2020. Um, It's essentially been on hold since then to launch our first sibling retreat. Um, And again, I can't say enough about one mission and how supportive and flexible and understanding they've been throughout this partnership. But we are offering our very first retreat just for siblings starting this Saturday in just a few days. And so the fact that it's finally coming to fruition, that it's finally happening is just so wonderful, so special. And I know it's going to be incredibly impactful for our siblings. Well, there's no doubt about that. Now, how many uh, siblings have signed up and is it is it a weekend event? Uh, Yes. So it's over the long weekend for Labor Day weekend. And it's a small group. Once again, we like to start small. So we'll have about 10 kids joining us, really making them the star of the show this weekend. um, And hopefully much, much more to come. I'm sure it'll be great. And and the the path that you seem to follow is you start small and then you grow um, a decent amount each year but that you're still able to control everything that you do. So again, the, the, the siblings play such a, such a huge role. And it's so important that, uh, that you have realized the impact of what they, uh, what they bring to the table. Now, I was fortunate enough to listen to a podcast that you did with David Yaz called the Boston podcast. I think it was a couple of years ago when you did the podcast. And one of the things that uh, I found quite interesting is that you talked about your signature fundraiser, which is a gala called Campfires and Cocktails. Can you talk about that fundraiser and how much enjoying the camp experience is important to the theme of the event? Oh, I think it's huge. Um, I love a fun party. I often think of camp um, as like one big party. And the more fun and special and memorable you can make each one, uh, the more people enjoy it and the more they can't wait to come back the next year. That's That drives a lot of what we do at camp. And I think it translates very well to fundraisers. Um, I think many of us have been to maybe a stuffier fundraiser in our day where um, maybe it's a little bit uncomfortable or you don't really know anyone. It's a little bit, it's just not true to the spirit of our camp at all. We really pride ourselves on being inclusive, welcoming, uh, loud, and a little weird. (laughs) And, you know, and we're about having fun and making every person in the room have a good time. And I think we do that at camp and, and we want every one of our events and programs to have that same spirit. And so, um, we sort of thought of imagine, you know, an upscale cocktail party fundraiser crossed with a super fun night at camp. And so what, what might that look like? 
It might be camp-themed cocktails because who doesn't love a themed cocktail party? Um, We've done things like a s'mores bar in the past where you actually get to roast a marshmallow and make your s'more at the back of the room. We do different activities around the room that are inspired by things we've done at camp in the past. And just like at camp, it's a way of getting people to talk and open up and interact. And we see people... uh, you know, from two different worlds coming together and laughing over the s'mores bar. And that's just like what we do at camp. And so I think, you know, so much of that translates into making a fun, memorable event. We haven't been able to do it since 2019, and we'll finally be doing it again this fall. And we are just so excited. Uh, This year has been a year of parties, which (laughs) is the best. Great to hear. Now, you charge a grand total of zero for these <laughs> kids to come to camp. But of course you have expenses, many of them I'm sure that ha- have to be addressed. So you rely on not just uh, your gala, uh, a big fundraiser, which we just talked about, but you also rely on donations and individual donors to help you be able to charge families what you do. Um, how successful have you been uh, acquiring these donors and what do they mean to you? I mean, I think we've been so, so fortunate over the years. Um, A number of your prior guests have actually been wonderful supporters of ours. Um, I am so grateful to Elian and Gary Markoff of the Art and Giving Foundation. Um, One Mission, as we've mentioned, has been huge in allowing us to add this new program just for siblings. Um, Care Camps is another big one that supports camps like us all over the country. And we're so, so, so fortunate. Uh, that they understand our goals and why this is important. Um, Many of them like Haymakers for Hope will come out and actually visit our camps for a few hours and, and they'll see the kids interacting and they'll see um, in just a few hours, like kids trying something new or cheering each other on or giving a high five after singing at the talent show. And like, we have the big things, like the, the things that go on social media, but so much of, what's so special about camp is those little interactions and those simple moments of that high five or everyone cheered for you after you sang, or you tried something new, you climbed the rock wall this year. And I think getting to see those little moments can be so impactful. And we're just so grateful to everybody who has um, taken the time to follow us or learn more about us and, and understands why camp is so important for kids. Now in early July, each summer, you also host a day camp for mm-hmm. pediatric cancer patients that has been held. I don't know if it still is, so you can correct me, but it, it's been at the Dana Hall School in Wellesley. Um, and the eligible age for kids is from five to 10 years old. Can you talk about that camp? Is it set, set up in a f- similar fashion as the overnight camp, except for the obvious that they go home each day? And um, if you can just discuss the particulars of of, of the objectives um, that you accomplished there. Absolutely. Our day camp, uh, we are so fortunate to be able to offer in partnership with Lynx Camps, which is a stellar local uh, summer camp p- company run by our board member, uh, Joe Kahn, who's just a camp genius. <laughs> he's, he's amazing. And so we've been able to um, work with Lynx to offer our day camp Um, every year since 2018, aside from the COVID summers, of course. And we were lucky enough to go back this summer. Um, This year, we actually opened it up a little bit more. So we bring both uh, the child who is either on treatment or has survived treatment and the sibling as well. Um, And it's very much inspired to be like a, a starter to that overnight camp or that sibling retreat experience where um, we have a lot of the same counselors, similar structure. We'll do cabin groups, same overall theme, but different theme days. Um, and it's a nice way to get started. Um, a lot of our kids might be on active treatment. So day camp can be really nice to, you know, it's in Wellesley. So you can go back and forth to the Jimmy fund or to Tufts or, um, to MGH quite easily from there. Um, it's a little bit easier to, you know, miss a day to go to treatment and then come back the following day. Um, we added siblings because we know for a lot of families, it's much easier to bring both of your kids to one place than it is to drive all over town every day. Um, and 
yeah, it's just been really wonderful. We've had a lot of kids start with us younger, come to day camp for a few years, and then decide that they're ready to try overnight camp. Um, and so I think it's been a really nice way to dip your toes in the pool um, before fully committing to the full overnight camp experience. I asked you before, and this is the third time I'll have asked you, or, or, or mentioned it anyway, uh, in that when kids come at the beginning uh, for their overnight camp experience, there may be some nerves, et cetera. Now I'd like to ask you conversely, how do they feel after their week when they are getting ready to go home? And is there some sadness involved when they leave? There is. And uh, it's not just me usually sobbing on the sidelines that I'm going to miss these kids so much. Um I'm a notorious crier, so I I will personally admit to it. But um, yeah, we see a lot of kids who, um, you know, are sad to leave. They're going to miss their friends. They'll call it their second home, their home away from home. They can't wait to come back. Um, we had a, a few campers leave uh, overnight camp a few weeks ago, and I was lucky enough to be there for this adorable interaction where um, the dad of one of the boys showed up ready to greet his son for the first time in a week. And before they can even say a word, his cabin mate runs up to dad as fast as possible and is like, I'm going to need his phone number. <laughs> and we were like, hang on, like, we'll connect you. We'll make sure, but let's give them a minute to hug and, and catch up before. And he's like, well, good, because we're going to be texting all day, every day. <laughs> And it was just so sweet how like these kids really do connect with one another so much more than you would ever imagine in just a week. They connect with our counselors, they connect with one another, and they build friendships that they look forward to throughout the year. And, you know, it, it, I think that's probably why I always cry because it's just so incredible to see the child who was nervous to step away from their parent on day one is now like, I don't want to leave. <laughs> and. I mean, the transformation you can see in just a few days is honestly incredible. It's a well-known fact, really, that that camp relationships go on for a very, very long time. Obviously, when you go to an eight-week overnight camp, there's more time that you spend with, with your friends. But these friendships can last forever. And I would think particularly with these kids who are undergoing something that is thankfully very rare – but still, you know, dominates their life when they can connect with people going through the same thing. It must be very meaningful. You know, it is. And I think one really interesting thing that we've seen a lot over the years is, you know, I, I mentioned having campers come who don't want to talk about cancer. They've thought about it enough. They are not here to talk about it. They are here to have a good time and fit in with everybody else. And that's perfectly fine. We've then often seen those kids, maybe five years later, decide that now is the time that they are ready to open up and they want to talk to someone else about it. Well, if you've been hopefully off of treatment and out of the clinic for the majority of those five years, you may not actually have that many people to call who really understand what you're talking about. Um, you might have a good friend at school, but they might not get it. And so for us, one of the the benefits of those lasting relationships is not only is it a hopefully lifelong friend that you're leaving camp, this is someone that you can call in five years when now you are ready to talk and you want to talk to someone who has the same port scar on their chest about how embarrassed you are to wear your bathing suit to the pool in front of your high school classmates. Or, you know, it's, it's hard to talk about some of those um, long-term challenges that can come with treatment, but I have adult friends dealing with infertility because of their childhood cancer treatment. And infertility is a pretty rough thing to go through. And it's kind of nice to know someone else who's in a similar position or maybe is angry too, that it's not really fair that they have to deal with infertility now after everything else they had to go through. And so th there's the immediacy of like feeling like you belong, feeling like you, no one thinks you're different or cares that you had cancer. But there's also that like long-term aspect of having the chance to call someone when you are ready to talk about cancer or how it's impacted your life. And I think that's so huge and so meaningful too. 
Now, there are two weeks a year that you have camp open. This is a full-time job for you, 52 weeks a year. So can you give us sort of a a, uh, a um, roadmap, I guess is a good way to say, of how you spend the other 50 weeks of the year getting ready for the two weeks a year that are so important to, uh, to everyone who attends the camp? Absolutely. Um, we, you know, as soon as a camp session wraps up, the first thing that happens is right now where we are in the summer, we're getting feedback from families. We want to hear what went well. We want to hear what they think we can do better. Uh, we want to hear both. Uh, and we ask our volunteers the same questions because we want to always identify quickly and pretty sh- shortly after that camp session, how we can make the next year's camp that much better. Um, from there, there's typically a lot of that background paperwork that a lot of people don't see of cleaning up our application process, maybe updating things for the upcoming year, booking contracts for our upcoming camp session that typically starts in the fall of the prior year. Um, There's things like insurance and fundraising and bookkeeping and all of those things that are not necessarily the most exciting or glamorous but those are the things that make camp possible. It's scheduling the medical advisory committee meeting so that we can review, you know, if we had anything that raised an eyebrow at camp this year that we feel like we want to do better next year, or how can we streamline this medical paperwork so that it's that much easier for a parent next year. And those things start really early. Um, From then it's uh, starting to put up applications for the upcoming cycle getting back into the clinics to let them know what our next cycle is going to be like. And that starts in January. So it's really an all year thing from both getting ready for the next year, then bringing in the volunteers, training the volunteers, uh, working with parents to answer their questions. A lot of parents don't sign up at the first hearing of a camp. They want to know us and, and talk to us a little bit. We also do free family events throughout the year. And that's another way that families can come back and, um, you know, see one another, get to know us. We've got a camp reunion coming up in a few weeks. So there's just, there's always things kind of going on. And as much as it seems like, oh, it's two weeks of the year, it really is an all the time thing for us. Well, obviously you put so much passion and so much uh, of yourself into this. And that's the major reason I'm sure why it's been so, so successful. Now, do you have any specific goals, assuming that COVID can be held at bay for the next three, four, five years uh, that you either want to implement as programs or perhaps any type of expansion um, to other areas that you might be thinking about? Always. Um, (laughs) I think the problem is I have probably too many of those ideas and it's starting to choose what we can do um, and making sure we do each one well instead of doing everything all at once. Um, I would say that our board does a good job of helping me manage which ideas to implement um, at once. So for example, we added a holiday assistance program a few years ago due to COVID where we help families in our network purchase um, gifts for their kids around the holiday season. So that's something that we're hoping to continue even though COVID is um, in sort of a different phase these days. And I think um, like many people, we learned a lot during the COVID uh, shutdowns and especially how hard it hit a lot of our families. Um, And so we are really thinking about and talking to our families about what are the other things that you really are struggling with and how can we help sort of support you not only during treatment, but long-term. And so we, we are open to a lot of opportunities and we're exploring a lot of ideas, but we're open to hearing from our families what they need most and how we, with our resources and with our expertise, can help just make their lives a little bit easier now and and for the foreseeable future. How meaningful is it to you that parents would recommend Camp Casco to other families 100% of the time? Which is what I read. (laughs) Uh, That means a lot. I, you know, there's our families are number one and their opinions are number one. And we've tried to always make it a priority to listen to our families, to hear their needs, their questions, their concerns, and to keep doing better and to keep striving for more. Um, 
the positivity we've gotten just from our last few sessions of camp this summer have been overwhelmingly positive. And, you know, we just want to keep that up. We want this to be a place that they can depend on for good quality experiences for their child that they know they can depend on. Um, because your kid is the most important thing in the world. And if our parents are happy that that's number one. Where can people get in touch with you with Camp Casco to learn about the amazingly outstanding camp that you have for parents uh, to send their kids to uh, with the confidence that they're going to have a very meaningful and uh, important experience uh, for the one week that they're there? Well, we love hearing from people, um, whether they want to send their child, whether they're wanting to get involved in some way. Um, Anyone's welcome to reach out anytime at hello at campcasco.org. We love hearing from people and getting to meet new people. So please reach out. Um, And really based on your situation, we love to talk to interested families quite a bit before camp to get to know you and your family. Um, Every child is different. So we want to make sure that we know what your child would need in a camp setting to thrive. And we love to have those conversations. Well, as we end this podcast, I want to thank you so much for taking time. Now, there's no camp in session for another uh, pretty close to a year. However, you are very busy and to take the time to really uh, explain in detail what goes on at Camp Casco, what the mission is, the, what the objectives are, uh, and to and to tell us so beautifully how it all works. I uh, really appreciate it. want to congratulate you on what you've accomplished. And of course, you're really in the infancy of this because this is going to be going on for many years and serves such an important purpose for these kids who don't have much to look forward to when they're going through treatment during the year, but what they do have to look forward to is a wonderful experience, whether it's a day camp or overnight camp uh, for the one week that uh, they're able to attend. And I want to wish you the best of luck uh, as time goes on. Thank you so much. And thank you for taking the time to share our story and the stories of so many of our amazing peers in the community. We're so grateful. Well, it was was certainly my pleasure and uh, have a great day. Thank you. I hope that you enjoy listening to Erin talk about her passion, which has resulted and is resulting in helping an increasing number of pediatric cancer patients each summer be able to enjoy at least one week each year in which they are allowed to free themselves from thoughts of the difficult days that they all must spend in dealing with their individual cancer battles. This is Mark Levine, and please tune in on Thursday when I will speak with Anita Rodriguez, who lost her son, Eric, after a long battle with, at first, was an optic glioma, which eventually turned into squamous cell carcinoma. Anita will talk about Eric and how she and her family are honoring his memory as they will walk this coming Sunday to raise money in the annual Boston Marathon Jimmy Fun Walk.